Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Y'all better come on. Let's have some church up in here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, It's amazing to be a part and just to see what happens when the people of God come together who are united under this one truth that, hey, we have a resurrected king who is in the process of resurrecting us. Like there is something amazing that happens. And it reminds me, it reminds me of growing up in church. Growing up, I went to a church called Mount Ephraim Baptist Church where the pastor's name was Dr. Reverend R.L.Y. And you better say both titles too. And the L and RL stood for Leroy. You better come on, somebody. And I remember growing up in church there, and I loved it so much because every single week, without fail, when the pastor was almost finished with his sermon, he would always go into a song. It never failed. And I remember when I was a kid, I'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, he's starting to sing. You better watch out. We're about to go. I remember this one time in particular He was preaching this amazing sermon that I don't really remember what it was about, but I'm sure it was amazing. And I remember he was preaching, and he began to go into an old gospel song by this group called the Williams Brothers. And the song was something that was true of all of us. And I remember he got towards the end of his sermon, and then he began to sing, and he went like this. I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And I remember when he was singing that song, there was this lady up front who sat with the mother's board. Some of y'all are like, what's the mother's board? You don't need to know, but just know we had one, okay? And what it was, it was a bunch of older women in the church who were mothers, and they would always wear white outfits with big old hats to let you know they came to church and they were ready, everybody. One of these women in particular, her name was Mother Roundtree, and I loved Mother Roundtree because Mother Roundtree, every single Sunday without fail, I would go and give her a hug, and she would give a brother some candy. Praise God. (laughs) Let me just tell you now, you give me candy, we can be friends forever. So while the pastor, Dr. R.L. White, was singing that song, Mother Roundtree stood up with her white hat on, with her white outfit on, and she just raised her hand. And she began to sing along with the pastor. And here's the thing I knew about Mother Roundtree was Mother Roundtree was a widow. And she was raising a special needs son by herself. And so when Mother Roundtree got up, even though everything wasn't right, even though everything wasn't perfect, the fact that she was able to get up and go, yes, I'm just a nobody, but I'm trying to do what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do it. There was something that happened within the crowd. It was almost like lightning struck, and the crowd was like, hold on. If she can sing that, if she recognizes that to be true, then maybe that can be true for me as well. And as she was singing with the pastor, another lady, her name was Sylvia, who was going through a hard time in her marriage, And she looked at Mother Roundtree singing, knowing all the stuff and all the life and all the difficult circumstances that Mother Roundtree had experienced. But yet Mother Roundtree was able to stand up and to sing. Sylvia stood up herself. And she began to sing. And then slowly and surely, you begin to see this crowd stand up and recognize and sing what is true. Because here's why. Because something special happens in here that sustains us out there. 
See, there's something special that happens when we come together as a group of individuals who are flawed, who are still in process. But we go, you know what? Your faith is building my faith, and if we can sing this together and we can remind each other what is true, then maybe we will better navigate this life together because something special happens in here that sustains us out there. So today, we get the opportunity and privilege to answer this question. Why do we gather and worship? Why do we do it? With all the busyness, with all the craziness, why do we make it priority that we come here together and we worship this king and we remind each other of what is true? And the reason is because something special happens in here that sustains us out there. And we're starting a new series this week, A Place for You. And we're going to walk through what it means to be a part of this body and what that looks like and what we desire. And we get to start this conversation off with talking about why we worship. So I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you have allowed a people such as us to come together and be united under this banner that you are still on your throne, that you are still good, that death doesn't have a hold on you, so death doesn't have a hold over us. Lord, may you remind us in the next few moments of why we gather, why this is so important. God, will you remind us of what happens in here when we do gather? And Lord, may what we hear today allow us to walk differently when we walk out of here. Because Lord, we get to carry this hope. We get to carry your name wherever it is we go. And thank you for the opportunity that you get, that you give to each one of us to come and celebrate and be reminded of what is true. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Let's start off the conversation by saying this. Some of you might have been sitting there and been like, hey, Nick, worship is not just what happens in here. Worship is a lifestyle. And I agree fully with you. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a moment. That everything we do should reflect the hope and the relationship that we have with Jesus. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he reminded them that everything they do is in response to Jesus being good. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything we do, from being a parent to navigating how we work to whatever it is God has placed in front of us, whatever we do should be done for the glory of God. But just be reminded that something special happens in this place. That Here's the deal. It is a difficult world to navigate. Would y'all agree with that statement? There is hardships that are coming. There are things you have to navigate. And not everyone who you come in contact with have experienced the hope of Jesus. And so really it's a battle. Every day is a battle. And so we get the unique opportunity to come together and we get to battle together. We get to encourage one another. We get to remind each other of what is true. That is why we come here and that is why we celebrate what God is doing. Because we are in a battle and we need each other. This is a place where we can come and regroup and get sustenance for the next step and for the next battle. That is why we worship together. And in Hebrews chapter 10, they lay it out so well of why we gather together. It says this, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So verse 23, let's break this down. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, when we get together, our worship is the outside evidence of what has happened on the inside. See, we have this hope, we have this confession that we know that Jesus has invited us into relationship. And so what happens is a bunch of people who have been reminded of the fact that Jesus loves them right where they are and has changed them and have brought them from death to life, we get to come together and something happens. Because we recognize what Jesus is doing in you, he also is doing in me. And we come together and something amazing begins to happen. Because we hold on to this truth, we hold on to this confession, and we get to remind each other that we're not in it alone. John MacArthur says it this way. Anybody in fellowship with Jesus Christ is also in fellowship with anybody else in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so because of what Jesus is doing in me and because of what Jesus is doing in you, when we come together, we can go, hey, we're in fellowship together because Jesus is doing something. Jesus is at work. Synergy happens when we come into this place together. So what is synergy? Synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. That means when I come together and you come together, something more is produced. It's multiplied. Synergy happens when we lift our voices, when we worship together. Something special happens when we gather with others who have been changed by Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for fall. Anybody? I was moving this weekend, and I was reminded even more, I am ready for fall, y'all. One of my favorite things about the fall is a good fire. Woo! I have become amazing at starting fires. This is true. Like, I basically have a doctorate at fire starting, as long as I have the right stuff. So, one of my favorite things that I've learned and kind of is important is the kindling wood. Like, a good fire starts with a good kindling wood. And so I spend a lot of money burning up stuff. I do. Because I have the right, I want the right kindling wood so when a spark happens, it will ignite the fire. That's what happens in this room. You and I are kindling wood. And the spark is Jesus. And when we come together and Jesus lights that, it's amazing what happens. We are set ablaze and we reveal his glory through how we burn together, y'all. It's amazing. And Think about a fire. It produces heat. It produces something. We look at a fire and we go, man, life is here. Life can be sustained because I'm warm and I'm taken care of. That is what happens when we come and we gather together. The Lord sparks the kindling wood so that we can burn all the brighter together. Verse 24 of Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, typically when scripture talks about stirring up, it's a negative tone. So that means like you're not living right or you're not doing something right, so I'm going to encourage you strongly to do the right thing. But when I was reading this passage of scripture, I was thinking about when you stir something up, something better is produced. My wife makes the most amazing pound cake, y'all, and I like it. 
and I have to stop myself from eating half of it because it's that good. And you put some vanilla ice cream with it, it's a worship experience, y'all. Glory, right? But the thing that happens with the pound cake is it starts with all these individual ingredients. But you got some butter, you got some flour, and in and of itself, it's fine. It's great. But something amazing happens when you put all these ingredients. You put the butter in. You put the flour in. You put the sugar in. You put the eggs in. And then you begin to stir these individual ingredients together, and it produces something more amazing. See, when we come together as the body of believers, we are stirred up together, meaning we are different. We come from different places. We, have, we do different things. But when we are all stirred up together, we are able to produce something amazing called the church. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we are called to stir up one another, that means the ingredient that I am and the ingredient that you are, when we come together, we produce something that is better. That's what we get to do in this place. We are stirred up together. And when we are stirred up together, we wholly encourage, H-O-L-Y, and we wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, encourage each other. Let me explain the difference. When I say we wholly encourage each other, holy means that we are set apart. So what we get to do when we come together is we remind each other that, hey, we are set apart. That means we don't do what everyone else is doing because we have been set apart, we have been saved, and we have been called to live differently. So we get to encourage each other to live set apart. Not only do we get to wholly encourage each other, but we get to wholly encourage each other. That means that every aspect of our life has been changed because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are better in our marriage relationship. Because of Jesus, we are a better employee. Because of Jesus, we are a better son or daughter. Because of Jesus, it has impacted our whole lives. So we wholly encourage each other to allow every aspect of our lives to be leveraged and used for the glory of God. So we wholly encourage and we wholly encourage. And we see this lived out. This group of people coming together, united under the name of God, and living life together, and they become better because of what happens. We see this in the Old Testament in Nehemiah. We're going to read in Nehemiah 8. But before we get there, like, Nehemiah was the guy that felt called to go re rebuild his home, his home city, to go and rebuild the walls of Israel. And so he goes and he does that, and you see this group of individuals building this city back. They're fighting off people, and yet they're building. So they have a sword in one hand, and they have a hammer in the other, and they're doing this thing together. And we see in Nehemiah 8 that these people who have been battling together come together to be restored and renewed, and we see what happens when that happens. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah, beginning in verse 1, says this, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Let's pause right there for a second. Did y'all hear how long they had church? From the early morning till midday. That's after lunchtime, y'all. Like some of y'all are like, Nick, I'm 30 minutes. Woo! Imagine we were back in the day. I'd be like, y'all better get coffee. We about to read God's word. And so they, they read God's word from the early morning until midday. 
in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. Let me go ahead and say right now, I'm making up half of these names. I mean, I don't, I don't want y'all to go like later and quote me and be like, no, my pastor said it right. I probably didn't, y'all, all right? So just know as I read them with confidence, I'm really not sure how to say it, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. So let's keep going. And Pedadiah, Michelle, like, let's pause. What is that? How many syllables can fit in one word? But anyways, Malachiah, Hashem, Hashabadonabrah, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. Just being real, everybody. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. I love this. So he is reading from God's word, and the people stand. They recognize what Ezra is saying to be true. They're going, listen, that's right. He did do that. He did come through in that way. He is good. He is on his throne. And the people stood, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, something began to happen as God's people gathered together under his banner, under his name, under his word. Something began to happen. They were stirred up. The people were stirred up to thank God. The people thanked God. As they're there together, they are reminded of what is true. Yes, he's brought a nation through a sea. Yes, God provided when there was no provision to be seen. So they thanked God. When we gather together and are reminded of what's true, it leads to thankfulness. It stirs us up and reminds us what's true. It reminds us that even though our current circumstances might not seem like God is moving and working, there is still something to be thankful for. Because at the end of the day... Jesus surrendered his life on the cross so that we could be in relationship with him. He paid our debt where we couldn't pay ourselves. The people thanked God. The people were also stirred to pray. They're like, God, we're going to respond to you. We're going to have a conversation with you. We're going to accept the invitation to be in relationship with you. So the people began to pray. As they gathered together, they prayed and were like, God, you are up to something. Thank you. God, you are at work. Thank you. God, this is not going right, but I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to surrender it to you. They were led to have a conversation with the Lord because of what was happening in the midst of the people. They also were stirred and they worshiped. You see in Nehemiah that it says they lifted their hands. They didn't lift their hands for show. They lifted their hands because they were fully surrendered to what God was doing. They recognized that their father was good, so their hands went up like, you're a good father. You will lift me. You will call me to yourself. They worshiped him. They were thankful. They prayed, and they worshiped. When we gather We are a testament to God's work in all of our lives, and this helps display his glory. So when the people of God come together, it is a testimony to the fact that God is at work and he knows what he is doing. That he has not forgotten about us, that he he is still in the midst of working. And I, I was thinking about this this week, last week. 
I was having a conversation with somebody, and they were telling and sharing what was going on in their lives. And they were talking about how hard it was and, and how difficult the last season has been for them. And then they walked up on stage, and they helped lead us in worship. And I thought to myself, man, he is able to worship God even though everything is not going well in his life. He is leading me to be thankful and to pray and to worship because I see some evidence in his life of that God is at work. I was also talking to another guy, and he was telling me about a long, hard season he has been in. And yet I see him in here week in and week out, even though the circumstances of his life are not very great. He is still coming in here, and he's going, God, you can have it. God, I'm with you. God, I know you're for me because... When the people of God get together, it's a testimony to that God is at work and he is doing something. He is in our midst. He is working it out for the good. And even though there are moments where we not, might not feel like it, I love that he gives us evidence with the person sitting next to us that he is still at work and that he is good. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Matt Chandler says this. The church is not only a gathering of Christians to listen to preaching. It is that, but also more. The church is a gathering of men and women who have a covenant with one another and Christ to do life together. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, we're not going to neglect gathering together. We're not going to neglect being reminded of what is true. We're not going to neglect the synergy being built with our lives and worshiping our king. We're not going to neglect that because it's important that we do that. Hear me. I am not saying no way, no how, don't ever miss church. But here's what I am saying. Because God's not mad at you for going on vacation, everybody. Like, I don't want you to walk out here and be like, is God mad at me for going to the beach? No, you can worship him there. But this is what I am saying. The habit of your life and the rhythm of your life, gathering with fellow believers and worshiping your king should be a part of that rhythm. It should be a part of your, how you navigate this life. Why? Because you need to gather with other believers so that you can remember what is true. So what happens if we do neglect it? What happens if we go, you know what, Nick, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to make this a normal part of my everyday rhythm. I would say this, if when we don't live our life this way, we are more susceptible to the attack of the enemy because we're not battling together. And we can see this in the life of one of my favorite Bible characters, David. If you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to see what could happen when we don't choose to battle together, when we don't choose to come and worship together with people who are united under the same name of Jesus. It says this, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi, but David remained at Jerusalem. So David was the king. He was the leader. And he was called to lead them in battle. He was called to be with them. But David, for whatever reason, decided that he was not going to battle together with his brothers. Who knows the reason? Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was just didn't find it important anymore. But for whatever reason, David remained at Jerusalem, even though it was the time when kings were supposed to go off to battle. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon 
When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Let's pause right there for a second. There is nothing wrong with walking on your roof, everybody. There's nothing wrong with that. Like the problem in this was not that David was walking on the roof. The problem was David wasn't where he was supposed to be. That means that wherever he was wasn't the right place because he should have been battling with his brothers. So the mistake that was made was choosing not to do the very next best thing, and that was to go battle. So he found himself on the roof by himself overlooking the city, and then trouble found him because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Can I tell you, most of the time, let me change that, all of the time when I find myself in the midst of sin is because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing the very thing I've been called to do. We will all fall if we choose not to be in the place that we are supposed to be. And we see that lived out through the king. Goes on to say this. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Let's pause. There was still someone that's going, hey, David, let me kind of link arms with you. Bathsheba is married. Not only is she married, but she's married to one of your mighty men. You know, one of the men that you go into the midst of battle with, that has your back, that you've seen God do victory after victory after victory with. Like, she is married to one of those guys. One of your guys that you would call your friend. She is married to one of those guys. But David, because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he wasn't in a position to hear the truth that he needed to hear. And we see in verse 4 that it's about to go downhill very quickly, everybody. Verse 4 says this. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And if you keep reading in 2 Samuel, it gets real ugly, y'all. Like there's murder, there's lying, there's all kinds of things. And David found himself in this position because he chose not to go where he was called to go. He chose not to do what he had been called to do. He was in the wrong place because he wasn't in the right place. When we choose not to battle together, we could fall alone. And I'm going to change that. When we choose not to battle together, we will fall alone. You can ask someone sitting next to you after service. You can be like, hey, is that true? And they will say, yes. When we choose not to battle together, when we, we choose not to link arms with one another and remind each other what is true, we will fall. Hear me. No one is that strong. You see, David, he had an awesome, amazing, intimate relationship with the Lord. He knew what was true. But when he chose not to battle alongside his brothers, what happened? He fell. The Bible is full of individuals that had a right relationship with God, but yet they got out of the habit and they stopped battling with each other and they began to fall for what wasn't true. When we don't battle together, we will fall. One of my favorite places in this world is California. I love San Diego. If you've ever been to California, praise God for no humidity. Amen? Like you go there and you're like, God, you dwell here. Yes. 
But I love California. I love San Diego. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. But one of the places in California that I really, really want to go because I hear it's amazing and awe-inspiring is the Redwood Forest. Like I've had people talk about it and go, Nick, you haven't seen a tree until you've seen a redwood tree. They go, it, it, you can't even put it into words. These trees grow to amazing heights and somehow they are sustained and they're able to, to keep lasting for very, very long times because something special happens in this forest. And Nick, you have to go. And here's what's amazing that a lot of people don't know about these redwoods, these sequoia trees is that you would think that in order for a tree to grow so tall and be sustained, that it has to have a really, 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 really deep root system. But that's not really true of the sequoia trees. What's true of the sequoia trees is that as their roots begin to grow, they begin to become intertwined with the tree next to them. And so you see all these trees, if you look at their root system, they are intertwined with the trees that are next to them. And what begins to happen is as those roots become more intertwined, they become even stronger. And what happens as they become stronger is they're more able to sustain whatever storm or whatever may come their way because they have the support of the tree next to them. And it's amazing to me how God reveals himself through redwood trees. Because, see, we are a tree, and we need to, for our roots to be intertwined for the tree next to us in order for us to stand, in order for us to be able to navigate anything that life will throw our way. Because if ever a redwood tree is not intertwined with the trees next to them, you know what happens? It falls. It becomes more susceptible to all kind of outward attacks. And the same is true for us. See, what happens when we come together is we get to intertwine our roots and we are more ready to face whatever comes our way. Because we're leaning against the tree next to us and we are firmly planted and rooted. And so those roots become intertwined and so we are more able to sustain. We are able to battle better together. But you can't do it alone. And I was thinking about the redwood trees, and I was thinking about these sequoia trees, and I, I was thinking, but before a sequoia tree can grow, and before it can help sustain another tree, it has to be rooted in the right place. It has to be rooted in the right soul, and that soul for us as believers is Jesus. See, Jesus produces something in us that's far greater than we can produce ourselves. And then, after we're rooted in him, we are able to be interconnected with our trees that are standing next to us and one tree connected to another tree connected to another tree becomes a forest or better said becomes the church and it is able to withstand whatever may come our way so why do we worship why do we come together because we recognize that our roots need to be intertwined with the roots of somebody else so that we can better sustain and better navigate this life that we've been called to live. I invite you to bow your heads right where you are. Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you're doing. Lord, thank you that you haven't called us to live this life by ourselves because we cannot do it. Lord, thank you that you are at work. Lord, I love that you have blessed us with another illustration of what life looks like when it's done together with this illustration of the MTSU's football team. Lord, these are guys that as individuals, they are great athletes. 
But yet when you weave them together, they are better able to go against whatever obstacle may come their way. Jesus, may our hearts be open. May our feet be willing. And may our eyes continue to stay fixed on you. And so maybe today is the day where we go, yes, Lord. I will allow myself to be planted in the right soil. I will say yes to the invitation you are giving me right now to walk in right relationship with you. Lord, I understand that you surrendered your life on the cross. You paid for every debt, every mistake I have ever made. You paid in full on the cross, and you didn't stay in the grave. But you were resurrected from the grave, and you conquered death. And because of that truth, because of what you have done, I can walk in right relationship with you, and I can overcome death as well. Maybe the day is the day where that seed is planted in the right soil, and you say yes to Jesus. I'll have some friends down front, and Father, I pray that you will allow my other friends in this room to go and have a very necessary conversation that looks like this. I've been planted in the right soil, and I know that I have new life because of what Jesus has done. Or maybe for us in this room, We've decided that today is going to be the day where we begin to walk in a normal rhythm of coming and gathering and doing life with those who are around us so that we can be reminded of what is true. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you have done. And thank you for what you're going to do. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.